right, guys. So, part one of overcoming anxiety. This is what I'm going to call, at this point, an open-ended series. I think that anxiety and fear is holding back generations and generations of people from taking the next step in their life and in their walk with the Lord. And I'm not positive that we could spend too much time on this subject. Overcoming anxiety, overcoming fear, I am all right. So this might be a six-week series. It might be seven. All I know is that it's starting today. And I believe as a church and as individuals, we're going to have some freedom. We're going to get some freedom. Because you know, anxiety is something that was not part of the original plan. Fear is something that was not a part of the original plan. But somehow, it's almost ingrained in every one of us as we're born into a sinful world, a sinful society. But there's really good news. The good news is we don't have to deal with it. But so many people do. We don't have to accept this as a part of our life. Now, a lot of people, it's not just a part of their life. For a lot of people, anxiety is actually the filter that we use to make every decision. Fear, for so many people, is our filter. And everything that comes our way and everything that comes at us, we decide what we're going to do about it. We decide how we're going to respond through the lens of fear, through the lens of anxiety. And I'm telling you today, you can start to say no. You can start to say no. There's a verse that you're going to hear a lot during this series. It comes out of Proverbs, and it's not really a verse you may have heard that often in your life, but it's Proverbs 25, verse 2. It says, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. There's another translation that says it's the glory of God to conceal a thing. It's the glory of man to search it out. In fact, in the King James, the word glory and the word honor come from the exact same root word. So you can read it like that. The glory of God is to conceal a thing. The honor or the glory of kings is to search it out. Who are kings? Who are queens? We are. We're kings and we're queens. We're sons and we're daughters. We are people of God, and there's something else you might hear a lot over the next few weeks. We're also ambassadors. Speaking of ambassadors to the nations and our great partners and my awesome in-laws, uh, this comes from 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We are ambassadors. I want to talk about ambassadors for just a moment. Ambassadors belong to a country or a kingdom that they are not living in. An ambassador is subject to the laws of his or her actual country, even though they're living in a country with other laws, other rules. And there's these places called embassies. You've heard about them. But the American embassy in Russia, for example, is not subject to the laws of Russia. It's subject to the laws of the United States. And if a United States citizen were to get in some type of trouble in the country of Russia, 
and they found their way to the U.S. embassy, the Russian government would have no authority to come arrest them or put them under penalty. They'd have to be sent back here to then be tried according to our laws. An ambassador is somebody who is living in one place as a representative, but they're not subject to the laws of the place they live in. You know, this world, there are laws. There are, there are, are laws of nature. You know, fear is one of them. Anxiety might be one of them. But we are ambassadors of a kingdom where fear and anxiety do not have a place except for to be placed on Jesus. The fear or, or the awe and reverence that we feel on the inside when we look into the eyes of our father. I love the message Lisa preached a few months back where she said, you know, fear is not necessarily a bad thing. Fear of getting hit by a car actually keeps us away from running in the street. You know, the disciples were in a boat and Jesus said, we're going to go to the other side. A storm came. The disciples were in fear. Jesus wakes up. He speaks to the wind and the rain. It stops. And then it says they looked upon Jesus and they were terrified. Their fear went from the wrong place, fear of the wind, the rain, onto the right place, fear of the Lord. And they weren't afraid of the wind and the rain anymore. If we place our fear in the right spot, the fear that we're subject to as representatives of the kingdom of God is the fear of the Lord. And it's not fear like we know it. It's not trembling and afraid of fear that we're going to be struck down if we don't do what's right or a fear that we're going to miss out on something if if we're not in the exact right place. It's an awe. It's a reverence of the Lord. It's It's almost rooted in thankfulness for how good he is. How could you be so good to me? How could you have this unconditional love? That freaks people out, right? freaks you out when you do something really wrong and somebody still loves you so much. How can you still accept me after this? But listen, we are ambassadors. This is not the world we belong to. This is where we live right now, but it is not the laws we're subject to. We are not subject to look and filter every decision we make through the lens of fear and anxiety, but so many people do. I, 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 so many people do. You know, I... Uh, I wanted to give you a quick testimony. I think I've touched on this maybe just a little bit in the past year and a half. But after my dad died, uh, I started dealing with anxiety a little bit. I didn't realize that's what it was. Uh, and I think some of you will be able to relate to this. But I, um, I just remember a few months after dad died, Lisa and I were eating somewhere. And I mean, as soon as I took a bite of food, I just started to feel really sick. So sick, I, I couldn't enjoy the rest of the night. I just, we had to go straight home. And then it happened again the next time we went eating somewhere. It just kept on happening for months. Every time I would eat something, if I wasn't at home, I would start to feel so sick. Now, my mind, in the natural, I started trying to figure it out. All right, maybe I um, shouldn't have gluten. I'd eat stuff without gluten, I'd still feel sick. Maybe I don't need to be eating dairy. I've never had allergies in my life, but I was going down the list of every possible thing I could be allergic to. And it got to the point, 
five or six months into this where I wouldn't eat if we were at a restaurant. I wouldn't eat anything. And then it got to the point when if we had plans to go somewhere that day, I wouldn't eat throughout the day. I was skipping lunch or I'd skip breakfast because I knew if we had somewhere to be that night, I didn't want something to start making me sick. It got to a pretty intense point where Lisa would just get so Bless Lisa, she's awesome, and she puts up with me. And there's, I'm telling you, there's nobody else on earth that could put up with me. I'm so needy. I'm, I'm the most needy person I know. I'm more needy than both of my children. I'm more needy than... Lisa is a special person and the only one, I think, that could, that could uh, put up with all this. Well, I was especially needy in these moments, and she always had grace for it. And, and, and one day, we were... Let's see, dad died in July. This was around December. It was in December because we had a Christmas party that night and we were getting ready for it. And I just had this thought. I remembered that I'd eaten lunch that day. I know that sounds crazy, but I remembered. I was like, man, I ate lunch today. I don't want to go to this Christmas party and get sick. And I'm sitting on the couch and I told Lisa, I said, hey, I just think maybe, I mean, I'm tired. Aren't you tired? Like we had a hard week. We should just call and cancel. We'll just stay here. They won't even notice that we're not there. And Lisa, in all of her grace, looked at me and said, listen, you don't have any allergies. This is anxiety. You're going to get up and get over it, and we're going to go to the Christmas party. And, you know, it's good to listen to somebody sometimes. And I did. I went to the Christmas party, and I thought for the first time, what if this is anxiety? What even is anxiety? What does it feel like? What, what, how does it affect you? How does it affect people? I found out it affects people in different ways, lots of different ways. And after Lisa called this thing out and named it, uh, my mom did not know that we had had this conversation, but I told her one day at her house, I said, my stomach's feeling a little bit weird. And she said, well, do you think it's anxiety? She goes, do you remember when you were younger? Every time you were afraid, every time you'd be nervous, you carried all of that anxiety in your gut. She goes, you used to carry that there all the time as a kid. And I started having these flashbacks. I remember drinking a whole lot of Pepto-Bismol when I was a kid. I remember leaving restaurants and mom would say, pull your knees up to your chest and just sit there, lay there, lay on my lap. But she reminded me, you carried that in your stomach, in your gut when you were younger. And I thought to myself, all right, the two people that probably love me the most in this life have both called out this word anxiety by name. And I started thinking, maybe there's something to it. And I'll tell you what the final straw was. I had not had food all day because I knew that we were going out to eat that night. And we're sitting at a restaurant. I had nothing but water and maybe some coffee on my stomach. And I thought to myself, I'm going to eat something tonight. I'm so hungry. I'm going to order food and I'm going to eat it. And as soon as I had the thought, I started feeling sick. It, that same feeling hit me in my stomach, and I started feeling sick. And that's when I knew this is not an allergy. I have, unless I'm allergic to air, this is not an allergy. This is something else. And in my heart, I knew that I had let fear and anxiety become a part of my everyday life in that moment. It was a big moment for me. And I'm glad I wasn't allergic to air. Have you ever seen the show, The Office? It's, one, it's my favorite show. And, you know, you can watch this TV show and you can think to yourself, this is ridiculous. Man, there's no way this is real life. 
I've never worked in an office like that, but my mom has her entire life. And she was just telling us a story the other day of one of her friends who started to wrap his cubicle in saran wrap every morning before work started because he decided he was allergic to air. So he would wrap his entire cubicle in saran wrap. Poor guy was, I guess, allergic to air. So what I'm saying is, I think real life is probably a little more ridiculous than uh, Hollywood made it out to be in the fine television series, The Office. Today's service is actually brought to you by The Office. (laughs) You guys don't know that? You guys are staring at me. Go home and watch The Office. Watch the office, okay? Laugh and relax a little bit. Okay, so back to the serious stuff. I realized I was dealing with anxiety. It wasn't an allergy. It wasn't anything happened physically with the exception of the chemicals that are released in your brain when you start to let fear in. But there was fear and anxiety controlling every decision I made. And you know what was attacking me in what gives me survival? I mean, you have to eat to survive. You have to eat to be healthy, to feel good. And that's what anxiety does. It attacks you and it wants to sink its claws into you and take away the very things that are key to you surviving and thriving in life. That's what anxiety does. And that's what it feels like. It feels like some kind of bird of prey has its talons in you and it just keeps on grabbing. Lisa and I walked out the front door of this church uh, five or six years ago and there was this squirrel running across in front of us and we're just laughing at this little squirrel and this hawk, there's a hawk that circles around this, uh, this church all the time. He swoops down right in front of us and he picks up this squirrel and this squirrel screamed like a human, which was really freaky. And the hawk took it up into the front yard. I'm, just, I'm not making this up. I'm telling you, but this really happened. He's flying up higher, higher, higher. The entire time the squirrel is screaming, he's up probably 60, 70 feet, and he releases the squirrel, and the squirrel falls down right in front of us, hits the ground, and stops screaming because I guess he got knocked out and broken. And then the hawk swooped down in the front yard and just started eating this squirrel. I'm assuming while it was still alive, while its blood was still warm. This is your National Geographic lesson today. But I'm telling you this for a reason. I'm telling you this for a reason because that's what anxiety wants to do to you. Look, if this hawk is anxiety... It wants to keep you alive just enough to where you are completely tortured and tormented as it begins to pick you apart piece by piece. It wants to swallow you whole and alive. I'm telling you, anxiety is an evil bird of prey and we're these little squirrels running around for our lives, but we don't have to be. Think about this. You're bigger than the hawk. We're bigger than the hawk. That poor squirrel wasn't. But in this scenario, you're actually bigger than the hawk. I didn't have that story in my notes. I didn't have the story in my notes, but it's a good picture 
of fear and anxiety. It doesn't just want to end you like that. It wants to make you miserable. It wants to make every moment of your life miserable. And if you want to give anxiety an author, his name is Satan. His name is the devil. And you know what he's after? He's after stealing the word of God in your life. He is trying to steal the very things, the very gifts that God has given you that you're good at, that only you can do. He's trying to steal that life away from you and make you miserable in the process. But Proverbs 25.2 speaks about fear a little bit in a roundabout way. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It is the glory of kings to seek it out. Do you know what I'm afraid of most of the time in my life is the unknown. I'm afraid of what's going to happen if, what's going to happen when, what is going to happen if and when. When I was younger, when I was talking to these kids, I'm not joking. Anxiety has attacked me before. My parents were watching this episode of the TV show ER, and this kid about my age got some kind of rare disease and died. I went to bed every night for over four years, completely terrified that I was going to get that same disease and die. I remembered its name. I remembered what happened to the kid in this TV show. And for four years, I would cry myself to sleep. It was horrible. It was torment. It was torture. Fear of the unknown is so often what turns into anxiety. Fear is a moment, right? Fear is just a moment in time. Something startles you. Something freaks you out. But I'm telling you, fear dwelled upon becomes anxiety. And anxiety will create a culture inside of your own mind. Anxiety will create a culture in your own mind. And everything you process will be processed within this culture of anxiety. Everything you see will be processed through a lens of anxiety. And it will cripple you if you're not careful. It will keep you on your couch watching The Office over and over again instead of going to Christmas parties, instead of spending time with friends, instead of coming to church on a Sunday and worshiping with people who love you, instead of making a difference in this world. It will hold you back if you let it. Fear dwelled upon becomes anxiety. That will create something that you do not want inside of you. I love this. I've said it before. You can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest in there. You don't have to let it make a, a nest. You just shoo it away. Fear comes at you. Fear of the unknown, the unknown comes at you. But listen to Proverbs. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. We're not supposed to know everything. I don't know why, but we, don't, we aren't born with the blueprints of steps one through 300 on how to get to the place we're called to go. My personality, that's what I want. I want instructions. I love instructions. You guys know I love toys and comic books and things. When I was a kid, I remember I was four or five years old getting toys, and my favorite part was taking the stickers and putting them exactly where the instructions said to put them. I mean, I would like get the measuring tape out. I would, let's see, if, this is in, if these directions are in scale or at least in ratio to the actual construction of this piece of plastic, this sticker should go right here. I love instructions, and I pride myself on being able to follow them. 
I'm going to follow them. This is how me and my dad were, were very different. Mom always tells a story that my dad wanted to learn how to uh, fix cars. He wanted to learn a little bit about engines. So they had a Volkswagen van. He took apart the engine piece by piece, put it back together. But she said there was a pile of parts and screws that didn't get back into the engine. But it worked. They drove it for a few more years. And, you know, I, I know myself. And if that would have happened, guess what? That engine would have been taken back out and I would have done it until I used every screw and every nut and bolt and everything was back exactly where it should have been. That's my personality. But you know what? It's not up to me to know everything. What is my glory found in? What is my honor? But to seek out and say yes to the things that God is laying out in front of me, even though I don't know exactly what's going to happen. Even though this world, this kingdom that I live in, but I'm not subject to, says be terrified and play it safe and maybe don't say yes to this just yet. This isn't the smartest decision. That's not my kingdom. That's not my country. The laws of my country say, say yes to this, because whatever this path is laid out in front of you, you may not know exactly what comes next, but you can bet that it is good. And you can bet that you're going to be all right. You can bet that God is going to make provision every step you make. Not only is he going to make it, it's probably already there waiting on you. God told Elijah to go to the brook. There's ravens waiting there to feed you. He said yes to God, and the provision was waiting on him. And that is such a good picture of our lives. Say yes to God, even though you can't see exactly what's going to happen. Because you know it's good. I love the story Lisa told last week. Ava Joe used to survive on macaroni and cheese and chicken nuggets, maybe a few other things. And then a couple years ago, we catch her sitting in the corner at Mike and Mary Cavell's house eating some type of like Thai curry, spicy Thai curry filled with vegetables and chicken and shrimp and all kinds of things and things she had never touched before. I said, Ava, what are you doing? I'm eating Thai curry. Do you like it? She's like, I love it. Well, how come you didn't try it when we gave you that or, or something like that? She's like, well, you didn't, Mr. Mike made this. I know that Mr. Mike's an, an amazing chef. Ava, Joe, and Judah have been born and raised in Mike and Mary Cavell. And Ava had 100% confidence that if Mike Cavell put a dish in front of her, even if it looked funny, she knew it'd be good. Ava didn't, Ava did not dislike broccoli because she tried it and didn't like it. She wouldn't put it in her mouth. Ava didn't dislike curry because she tried it and didn't like it. She disliked it because it looked weird. But when Mike Cavell put a bowl of it in front of her, she dove in headfirst, and she has not come up for air since. She loves good food. She scoffs at McDonald's, and she wants to go to... Coppers, a great Indian restaurant in Charlotte. That's where she wants to go every year on her birthday. Go have Indian cuisine. Gone are the days of Chuck E. Cheese and macaroni and cheese and chicken nuggets. She's been spoiled because she knew the chef was good. She knew that whatever he put in front of her may not have been the safest dish, but it was good. 
And speaking of ambassadors, one of my favorite ambassadors of this kingdom we live in was a guy named C.S. Lewis, and he wrote some really incredible novels uh, called The Chronicles of Narnia. And if you haven't read those, you should. I tried to write a report on uh, one of these books in 12th grade and got a big fat zero because they're evidently for children. They're like on a third grade reading level. And I tried to write a report about it in high school, whatever. We'll talk about that at another time. (laughs) My point is this. You can read these books, even if you're like, I don't like reading. You might read it in one afternoon. But in this book, these kids uh, just find themselves whisked away to a different land that doesn't look exactly like the place they're from, which was war-torn England. But they find themselves in this beautiful place called Narnia. And they get thrown into the middle of this conflict where this bad guy named the White Witch has cursed the land to where it's for years now been winter, but never Christmas. It's only winter, but never Christmas. Well, they keep hearing whispers of this king who's returned for the first time in a long time named Aslan. And they're going to see him. Everybody they they run into is like, we're going to see Aslan. We knew that you were coming. Come with us. Come see Aslan. My favorite part of this book is when they finally get a little more information about Aslan. They're, they're, They're gone their journey to see him. And the beaver, Mr. Beaver, to be exact, says, come on, we're almost there. We're almost there to see the lion. And they stop dead in their tracks. And they say, wait a second. He's a lion? We're going to see a lion? Is he safe? And the beaver just starts laughing. He goes, no, no, he's not safe. He's a lion. He's not even a tame lion, but he's good. He's not safe at all, but he's good. Do you know what anxiety wants to tell you? It's not safe. Stop. It's not safe. Just stay where you are. You're okay right now. You're alive. Isn't that enough? Just stay locked in your corner. Stay locked in your house. You're safe. And this attacks us in every area of our life. I don't want to say yes to friendship and intimacy because I've been hurt before. I don't want that to happen again. I'm safe right now. Nobody can hurt me if I just stay alone and binge watch Netflix another evening. But that is not what you're called to do. That is not who you are. That is what people might need to do when they are subject to the laws of this kingdom, meaning the world we live in. But that's not our kingdom. We're ambassadors. We belong to a different kingdom. We have a whole different set of laws that we're subjugated to. In fact, we represent somebody that's got more power than the most powerful person in this particular world we live in. That's really good news. He's not safe, but he is good. And we can be sure of that. Here's something I was thinking about this week, and this is, I think, a pretty powerful statement. So I hope you hear it. And I think it can, uh, I think we can walk out of here different. But you know, you cannot overcome what you don't confront. I love the story of David and Goliath I always had. But can you imagine if David was a lot like a lot of us are? What if David hears this giant speak? What if he hears this giant taunting the armies of Israel? And David goes, I got the answer, guys. Pretending this is a rock, a a, a big rock, right? And Goliath is out here taunting. David's like, I got the answer, guys. Give me a second. Okay, 
I declare this giant defeated. I declare this giant defeated. I declare this giant defeated. You are not going to taunt us anymore. You're defeated. You're defeated. He's still there. You're defeated. You're defeated. You're defeated. He's still there. You're defeated. You're defeated. You're defeated. I don't know what to do. You're defeated. David did not hide behind a rock and declare the giant defeated. He walked out from the tent. In fact, he took the armor that didn't even fit him off. He took the armor of the kingdom he was living in off, and he stepped out into the armor that his kingdom, that the representative sent him in, which we couldn't even see, And he stepped out and he said, you are defying the armies of the living God, and this will be your last moments. Sorry, but you've stepped over the line. You've crossed the line, and you're going down. And then if you want to get real serious, that's a good story too. And he goes, not only are you going down, I'm going to take your sword and cut your head off with your own sword. I mean, he was talking mega junk. He was so confident, he told this guy, I'm actually going to take your sword and do the deed with that. That's intense, but he knew what he represented had far more power than the man who was standing in front of him. He may have been a big man, but he was just a man. And anxiety had crippled an entire army. Fear had crippled the most prophetic, amazing people that were at this battle, ready to fight until they saw the giant. But David did not stand behind a rock and declare him defeated. And I see this happening all the time with not just people in my generation, but it's every generation. I know people that are too afraid to go to the doctor because they don't want to hear a bad report. Well, I don't care if the doctor tells you the report or if you are just imagining what it is yourself. Go and get a report. Confront the thing that is trying to attack you. Speak the word over it. Because it doesn't matter who gives you the report. There's a better one. And you know what? What I do see a lot with people in my generation is fear of missing out on something. Well, I don't want to say yes to this uh, because I might miss out on the bigger, better thing that's coming my way. Listen, there's no bigger and better. God is the one laying the path out in front of you. Just say yes to the mystery, to 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 the step that the Lord is putting in front of you. And it may not make any sense, but it is the glory of God to conceal all the sense that it should make. And it is our glory to step out and just say yes to it. Do you know how those big moments that we're all waiting for happen? You start saying yes to the small ones, and eventually the big ones are right there in front of you. And it's even better when you start saying yes with people that you love and you start running and walking with people and the community. And then everybody's saying yes to these big things and those big, to the small things and the big things, they come, they follow. But you cannot overcome what you don't confront. Identify the lies that you're believing. Identify where that fear is coming from. Identify it, speak it out. And then begin to speak the word over it. Romans 12, 2 calls that renewing your mind, and it changes the way you think. It tears down that cult.
culture of fear and anxiety, and it surrounds your thoughts with a new culture that is completely set in the kingdom you represent, which is the kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. And my favorite part, adventure, excitement. There is so much adventure found in this verse in Proverbs 25 too. It is our glory to say yes and to seek out things we may not have it all mapped out, but the adventure is part of our glory. The adventure is what gives us life. It's not even an adventure if you know what's going to happen. You know, I mean, I can only enjoy things like video games or whatever so much because there's not really a risk. You're wasting time, but there's really no risk. You know you're safe because really it might feel real, but the whole time you're sitting on your couch. If you, if you, uh, you know, if your game's over, you can just start a new game. Life is meant to be an adventure, though. So many of us are so concerned with safety. So many of us are so concerned with the what ifs, what happens when it cripples us. We're not going to see everything laid out. We're not going to know what's always coming next. But when you take a step and the man and the God that you represent here in this world is the one that's laying out those steps for you, may not be the safest bet. It's going to be good. There's going to be risk involved, but it's going to be good. You might be a little bit nervous. It's all right. Say yes. We could get into the science of this, but you know, your body creates chemicals and, and, and there's things called endorphins. And when you start to get that nervous feeling, did you know that's actually on purpose? Your body is making chemicals that actually are what courage are built from. But we have a chance to let those chemicals just remain the way they are in the beginning and, and stay. And we can get into that. It's really good stuff. We're gonna, I want to talk about it again. We're going to do this more, this, this uh Series is going on. But hey, confront something. Confront the lie in your life. Confront whatever it is you're believing. And you know, some people don't do that because of, first of all, fear, again. And second thing that really stops a lot of people is shame. Well, I don't want to confront these lies. These are lies that I've given into, and I've done some pretty, some pretty rotten things because I believe these lies. And this shame just comes on us even the second we think about it. So you know what we do? We sweep it under the rug and we hope that it just disappears, but it doesn't. But here's the good thing about shame and fear. We had this talk in, uh, a few weeks ago, or maybe this past week, I don't remember when it was, but somebody said fear or, or some shame can't exist in the presence of Jesus. And you know what? I said, amen. That's what I thought. I thought, yeah, you're right, amen. Then I just had something hit me really hard. I thought, wait a second, it can because in the second I said, amen, you're right, fear and shame can't exist in the presence of Jesus. I remember the story. I remember the story about Peter. He had just denied Jesus three times in the darkest, hardest thing Jesus ever went through. Peter had denied Jesus three times and he's on a boat and he sees Jesus on the shore, resurrected, making a fire. And he says, hey, come here, come to me. And Peter, in his shame, and probably a little afraid that at the very least he's going to be reprimanded. I don't know. Who knows what else he was thinking? But Peter, in his shame, gets out of the boat, swims to the shore, sits by the fire in the presence of Jesus, God himself. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, do you love me? Three times. And Peter answers him three times. You know I do. 
You know I do. You know I do. And I just got this picture. We can carry our fear and shame right into the presence of Jesus. He doesn't judge us because of it. It doesn't stop us. It doesn't stop him. But every time we're in his presence, we have an opportunity to lay it down at his feet, experience this divine exchange, and walk to the next step in our life with something way better. Our fear and our shame can never keep us away from the arms of the Father. But he always gives us an opportunity to lay him down right there. I believe it's in Isaiah where it says he gives us beauty for ashes, strength for fear. For the spirit of heaviness, he gives us the garments of praise. Jesus didn't tell Zacchaeus to clean his house and get rid of everything and then I'm going to come eat with you. Jesus went and sat at his stolen table. At his food he bought was stolen money. He was served by servants, slaves. I don't care what the culture was like, that's not right. Jesus sat in the middle of Zacchaeus' shame and all he did was eat with him. And then in the presence of Jesus, as he's walking away, Zacchaeus says, hey, by the way, you've changed my life. I'm gonna give everything I've ever stolen back. I'm gonna give even more back. Man, that's good. There was a woman who was caught in adultery and in her shame, she was about to be murdered in the streets and Jesus just looked at her and said, I love you. This is crazy, but he actually said, I can use you. And then he said something even more crazy. He said, I don't condemn you. To condemn means to disapprove of. So Jesus looked at her and he said, I approve of you. She was not decently dressed, probably. She was taken from the act of adultery and prostitution. And he says, I approve of you. See, he looks past our sin and looks at us. He doesn't even address the sin. He addressed the sin one time on the cross of Calvary. He completely defeated it and made it a non-issue. So you know what he does now? He looks past the sin. He looks through the shame. He looks through the fear. He looks at us in the eyes and he says, I love you. I approve of you. I can use you. I have a plan for you. Just say yes. You might not know what's going to happen when you say yes, but if you know me, you know it's going to be good. Zacchaeus, why is he wanting to come to my house? He preaches and tells you it's better to give than to receive. And I've heard he says things like, don't steal. And and if you're a liar, then you're going to burn. I mean, these are things that like came out of this. But Zacchaeus is hearing the voice of Jesus in this moment say, I'm coming to your house. He had to be a little bit nervous. He had to be a little bit nervous. But he said yes, and he was changed forever. I see so many people, especially in the circles I grew up in and circles we still run in to some extent, faking their freedom. I'm okay with naming it and claiming it. That is completely okay. I do it myself. But the problem comes is when you're faking the freedom so hard, and the problem is you can actually really be free from it. But you're so scared. People are so scared to identify it. And you cannot overcome what you don't confront. 
You confront that lie head on. You do not live in the kingdom where that lie has power. You live in the kingdom that says that lie has no more power. You are an ambassador in this world. This world might look one way, but the world you belong to looks a completely different way. Carry your sin, carry your shame, carry your fear, whatever it is that tries to tag along with you, just carry it right into the presence of Jesus. Lay it at his feet and experience this divine exchange. You'll leave with something so much better. We can say no to anxiety. We can say no to fear. It happens one decision at a time. It happens one moment at a time. We can sit here and decide, okay, from now on, I'm not going to filter all of my decisions through anxiety. We're thinking too far, right? We're thinking too far ahead. Let tomorrow worry about itself. In fact, let, what time is it? 12 o'clock. Let one o'clock worry about itself. Let 12.15 worry about itself. Right now, decide that the next decision you have to make, right now, in this moment, I'm not gonna filter this through fear, through anxiety. I'm gonna filter it through the truth of the kingdom I'm from that says I'm a son and I'm a daughter, that says my kingdom is built on righteousness, peace, and joy. Can you imagine if every decision you made was filtered through joy, through peace, through righteousness? God is putting this in front of you. He's a good God. When you know the chef, it might not be the safest dish, but you know it's gonna be good. 